All right, so we've been in this summer series. It's called uh, Alive. And we've been walking through the book of Colossians. And Colossians is a specific letter written by a specific guy to a specific people group at a specific time to address a specific problem. The reason I tell you all of those things is because one, the people that it was addressed to is not us. Now that doesn't mean that we're not you know, meant to read it. It doesn't mean it, you know, we can't get anything out of it. It just means we have to remember that when we read the book of Colossians, it's like opening up somebody else's mailbox. It, no, nobody sends the letters anymore. It's like looking at somebody's text feed or your Snapchat streaks or I don't even know. But we're, we're reading somebody else's mail, right? Paul wrote a letter to somebody else. And the other reason I tell you that is because uh, it's hard to get context when you only have one side of the story. Have you ever like been uh, in the room or somebody's on a really interesting phone call and you're trying to figure out what they're talking about just from hearing what they're saying? You're like, man, what could that possibly be about? It's hard for us to figure out what exactly is going on, but we can use context clues to try and figure out why Paul is writing this letter. And so my best guess about the reason for this letter was that there was a problem in the church, a theology problem, where people were mixing legalism and this weird Greek philosophy that says that like the physical stuff is bad and like the spiritual stuff is good kind of arose out of these ideas from like Socrates and Plato. And so this stuff is stirring around in the church and Paul's like, you guys, I need to let you know about this because this is, you're, you're causing yourself some problems. And so let's jump right in. We're going to be starting in Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 16. It says this, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Sorry, I lost my place. By what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. So basically how you celebrate. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and all of his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. So, that's a lot, but basically what Paul is saying is there's a guy. There's a guy who started gaining popularity. It could have been a girl. I don't know if it was a guy or a girl. Who started gaining popularity in the church, and he was preying on people's superstition. How some deep cut Michael Scott for you. I'm not superstitious. I'm just... A little stitious, yes. So these Christians are like, I want to just give you a picture. People who aren't followers of Jesus are really superstitious. They're believing all these crazy things about evil spirits. They actually spend lots and lots of money and spend a lot of time and energy trying to keep these evil spirits away. Archaeologists have actually discovered uh, amulets, basically these necklaces with a, a medallion in the middle that has um, inscription that basically asks angels like, the, like Michael and like all the angels that are listed in the New Testament, in the Bible, to protect them from evil spirits. 
right? So the superstition that's happening outside the church where people are, you know, there's magicians and, 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 and uh, diviners and witches and all this stuff, it's starting to seep into the church. And people are looking towards angels. They're, they're crying out to angels to say, there's evil spirits, they're attacking me, they're attacking me. And so this guy's praying on these people's little stition and causing them to kind of scoot a move away from what the, the leaders in the church have actually been preaching about Jesus. And so Paul, Paul kind of, this is like, this is like first century shade. He's throwing hard shade at this guy. In verse like 18 and 19, he says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for such a prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. Paul's throwing shade at this guy. He's like, this guy is a knucklehead. He doesn't know, he's unspiritual and he's disconnected. In verse 19, and, uh, verse 19, he's talking about this dude is disconnected from the head. The head is Jesus. He's like, Jesus over here, this guy doesn't even know. He's disconnected. And basic principles of this world. Why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use, but they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and false humility but their harsh treatment of the, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So, so many words going on there and I wish like, Paul would just get to it because he likes to dance around things all the time. But basically he's saying, and if you read just in the passage before, if you remember what we talked about three weeks ago, because it's been a while, um, Paul's like, look, when Jesus died, he took the Old Testament law, all those rules and regulations that Jews, followers of God had to follow, and he just nailed that thing to the cross. He's like, look, I'm here. I am the new covenant. We're going to start this all over. And one of these things that this guy is doing is infusing legalism, right? So he's saying, look, if you want to follow, if you want to keep those evil spirits away and experience the reward of Christianity, you have to, what are the things? Do not touch, do not taste. He's saying, look, you can't touch those things. You know, that keyboard's possessed. Don't touch that keyboard. Don't eat these things. Those things will, they'll cause you problems. And Paul's like, his mind is blown. He's like, did you not remember when Jesus died? He took away the old code. He took away the old rules. Jesus on the cross, he destroyed the powers of sin and death. He made a way for us to enter into eternal life. But he also destroyed the power of legalism in boring Christianity. When Jesus died on the cross, he gave you the freedom to live a full life, a life in color. But I want to, just for a second, I want to pull back to verse 23 because Paul says something that I really think is important and it's going to come into play in a little bit. The end of verse 23, he says, they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence at the very end. He says they lack value. So, just so you know, the rules that Paul is talking about, he's saying these rules don't do anything. But 
Just because we don't have to follow a list of rules anymore, this is huge, I need you to hear this. Just because we don't have to follow a list of rules anymore does not mean that we are no longer responsible for our actions. Just because the code and the laws and the rules are over and done with does not mean that we can just live however we want and we don't have to pay any consequences and we're not responsible for our actions. Paul's saying, even though you're free, you're still responsible. And so here's the formula. This is the formula to live a life in color. This is what Paul is saying in this passage in Colossians. It's two things. You want to live a life in color, stay connected to Jesus. These are the two things. Stay connected to Jesus and live your life, man. Live your life. Experience that freedom. Enjoy your freedom. When I say stay connected to Jesus, this is going to be, I'm going to rock you guys' world in a second. Staying connected to Jesus it, when, I, when I hear that, it brings me back to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, Jesus gathers his disciples together and he's like, you guys, listen. I am the true vine. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever remains in me, whoever stays connected to the vine, I will stay connected to you and you will bear much fruit. If you stay connected to me, man, you're gonna do it. You're gonna live your life. But apart from me, what does it say? You can do Anybody? Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. John chapter 15, that, that's verse five. And you know, for, I've read that verse like a bunch, but only like just recently have I realized that Paul, like Jesus means nothing. He's not saying apart from me, you can like just scrape by. Apart from me, you can do like little things. Maybe grow a little baby grape. No, he said apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we are to live a life in color, we have to stay connected to the vine. Now, if we are connected, <laughs> you guys can hear me. If we are connected to the vine, what Paul is saying and what Jesus says all throughout the Bible, if you stay connected, live however you want. Live in any way you want. Stay connected, but live however you want. That's blowing my mind right now. And I want to be careful because I don't want anybody to walk out of here being like, Andrew said I can do whatever I want. So, you know, bam. Remember, Paul's like, we're responsible. Just because we don't have a code of laws to follow we're, doesn't mean we're not responsible. We're still responsible. Responsible to stay connected to the head. So I want to dive into what that means really quick. In Psalm 37, verse 4, uh, the psalmist writes, it writes something really cool. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I've read that verse when I was a little kid and I was like, sweet, I want a race car. Like, that's not what it means, okay? What the psalmist is saying is, look, delight yourself in the Lord, connect yourself to God and he will give you the desires of your heart. He's gonna give you new desires. When you stay connected to the vine, when you stay connected to God, the things that you want in your life, the things that you want to do and experience, it might change, you know? Maybe going to those parties may not be the thing that you want to do if you're connected to the head. Maybe taking that extra step with your boyfriend or girlfriend. If you're connected to the head, maybe that doesn't seem like so interesting anymore. 
In Hebrews chapter 10, this is huge. This is for all the people who are like, I can do whatever I want because Jesus will save me. In Hebrews 10, he says, he basically just says all the stuff that I said. He said, God died to save you. He set you free from the rules. But then he goes and he says this, should we continue sinning so that grace may abound? Right? He's like, well, if God puts grace over all of my sins and grace is a good thing, maybe I should sin some more so there's more grace, right? It's, oh, it's a grace party. He's saying, if we, should we continue sinning so that grace may abound, so that there could be more and more grace? He says, by no means. He says, anyone who does so, there is no sacrifice for sins left. Some harsh words. Saying, look, if you know better, if you're connected to the vine and you know that that thing is going to make you disconnected from the vine, it's like, look, that's on you. You're responsible for that. And you're going to have to explain that when you die and get right in front of God. And he's going to be like, dude, I was right here. You're going to have to explain that to him. Connect, stay connected to Jesus. It gives you new desires. It changes your heart. But once you're connected, experience that freedom. Experience that freedom. This, this is a lesson that I feel like this needs to be preached all over the world because, man, what are some of the reputations of Christians? We rule followers, fun suckers, you know, boring. That is exactly opposite of what Jesus died to give to us. The Bible itself, and, and this may come as a surprise to some of you, especially if you're still learning about Jesus. Some of you may think like, Jesus doesn't care about you. Jesus doesn't love you. Jesus doesn't want you to, to enjoy anything. Like the Bible is full, full of evidence that shows us that God, like any good father, wants his kids, you and I, all of us, to experience everything that life has to offer. He wants us to get every little ounce of happiness and joy and excitement and anticipation out of this thing we call life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly, have it to the fullest. In Matthew 6, verse 25 and 34, he says, look, look at how beautiful God clothes the fields. He says, look, I've clothed the fields with lilies, with gorgeous, beautiful flowers, but those flowers are going to wither and die away. How much more important are you than blades of grass saying, I will take care of you. You don't have to worry about those things. I got your back. In Luke chapter 11, God, Jesus talks about God being a good gift giver. Anybody a bad gift giver? Okay, not inviting you to my birthday party. God is a good gift giver. He's saying, who, who among you, if, if your son asked you for bread, would give him a stone? Saying, God knows what you want. He wants to give you good gifts. All over the Bible, all over the New Testament, Jesus is saying, ask, ask me, and I will give it to you. Seek the things that you want. You'll find them. And maybe you're like, that's New Testament God. Forget, Old Testament God's big jerk. You're wrong. <laughs> God, the creator, supposedly the jerk God, spent 
six entire days. Spent five, we spent five days. Spent five entire days creating, using all of his creative energies, making these crazy things that have never been existent before. Trees and fish, birds and flowers and fruits, animals, all for his people. He's saying, look, I, I can't wait. I've been spending so much time on this. I can't wait for you to see it. And he gives it to him, the whole thing. In Exodus chapter three, after the people of God have been roaming in the wilderness, he's like, I promise you, after this is over, after this is over, you're gonna find yourself in a land overflowing with milk and honey. You're gonna find yourself in this promised land that is gonna be so beautiful and have extra of everything that you need because I love you. And th this, one, this one's good, this one's a big one for me. And uh, all over across the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is a really interesting book because it's written of a guy who basically has everything. And he's trying to find meaning in his life. He's trying to find fulfillment. And one of the things he says in the book, all throughout the book is like, hey, whatever God gave you, like whatever your lot is, if you're like, you're hitting it big, you know, your, your family's well off and you're, you're enjoying some stability, like don't, don't be ashamed of that. Don't feel guilty about that. God gave that to you as a gift. Enjoy, enjoy it. Remember you're responsible for your actions still, but enjoy that gift. If you're, if you're homeless, you guys, I was homeless at one point. If you're homeless and all you have is just, you know, what you got, man, that's your lot. That's your gift from God. Enjoy it. You know what that teaches me is that happiness and fulfillment and joy in life doesn't come from how rich we are, right? Because if it did, then the poor guy is screwed. Sorry, man. You just have to live a sucky life. But no, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, fulfillment, you can find fulfillment in anything. God gave you these gifts. God gave you everything in your life. You can enjoy those things. That's the Old Testament God that we're talking about, right? So God really cares about us. And he, he invented fun for us. I think like if God really didn't care about us, he really didn't want us to enjoy life, fun would have been like, eh, we don't need that. You know, just throw it in the trash. He created fun. He created laughter and, you know, humor and jokes and all sorts of great things for us to enjoy. And what Paul is saying here is, look, enjoy your freedom. If you're connected to the, to the head, to the vine, to Jesus, enjoy that freedom. Now, like I said at the beginning, this book is a specific letter written to specific people about a specific problem at a specific time. So from all that I've said, we have to figure out a way to take that out and drop it into our own lives. So we don't have like cult leaders that are rising up and telling us, you know, don't touch the keyboard, you know, don't eat these things. Otherwise, demons are going to get you. We don't have cult leaders that are, I mean, we have some, but you know, that's another, another story. We don't have people like that coming up in our churches and drawing people away. What we have are tiny little lies that Satan throws at us all day long. Throwing all these lies. These lies are designed to do two things. They're designed to disconnect you from the head. 
or they're designed to control your freedom or your joy. Two things. If Satan could do those two things, what happens is we've got either a generation of Christians who are just boring and nobody wants to join that, or we have a generation of Christians who are disconnected from God and nobody's going to actually know who Jesus is. Satan wins either way. He's telling us all these lies. Jesus doesn't love you unless you do this. You have to, you have to do this unless, if you, if you want to actually be a part of this group. If you want to come to HSM, you have to dress this way. If you want to come to HSM, you have to, you know, you have to be pretty good at gaga ball. I'm not kidding. If you're not, sorry. These are the little lies that get fed to us all day long. We start to believe them. It's not something that happens fast. It's a slow drift. Before we know it, we turn around. The God that we were once connected to right next to us is now so far away. So to explain all of this and to try and maybe help us fit it into our own lives. I found this really cool video. I don't know if you guys are in like psychology classes. I don't know if that happens in high school anymore. This has been a long time. I say it's a long time. There's some people in here. It's been like 15 or 20 years since you've been in high school. Um, has anybody heard about learned helplessness? This is a really cool and kind of crazy thing to happen. So the experiment, by the way, that picture of the dog, isn't that like such a sad dog? I mean, look at his face. It's just so sad. Um, this guy way back before there were like real laws about what you could do and not do in experiments, he basically put these dogs in cages. And if they ever tried to get out, they would get shocked with a little jolt of electricity. And these dogs were stuck in these cages, but one of them, wouldn't get, it wasn't going to get shocked. So when it tried to get out, it was able to escape. Over and over this happened to these dogs, and then they took them all out of those cages and put them all in brand new cages with no electric shocks. All of the dogs that had gotten the shocks before didn't even try to escape, even though the door was wide open. Because they had learned that this is what I'm supposed to do. This is all I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be in this cage. While the dog who didn't get the shocks escaped out immediately. I, I was looking for videos to um, kind of explain this, and there was actually this really funny video of a guy who had, um, you guys, anybody have like a glass front door? That's like kind of, it, it, was, it was, the guy had a front door and it was clear glass, and they were replacing it or something, but anyways, there was no glass in the door. It was just the frame, and the dog is just stand, sitting right at the door, and his owner is like jumping in and out of the door while it's closed, and the dog's just looking at it like, I can't go through there. I've learned that there's glass there. And the dog wouldn't go outside until he literally opened the door for the dog to go out. They, they, it sounds so funny, but this is, it happens to us too. This happens to us too. We get fed these little lies and about who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to live. We start to learn, we start to believe that Christians have to... If you want to be a Christian, you have to look this way. You have to talk this way. You have to do these things. You have to not do these things. We learn from a previous generation of Christians that being a Christian means giving up fun to follow rules. And I, I would honestly, 
I wouldn't be surprised if you asked your non-Christian friends at school and other places, like, hey, what do you think it like, means to be a Christian? They would probably tell you, well, you have to follow rules. You can't do fun stuff anymore. I would not be surprised if that was somewhere in their answer. And I, I don't want to be too quick to blame those Christians, you know, that older generation of Christians, because they're learning, the, they learn the same things. Those Christians, those boring Christians learned from other boring Christians who learned from other boring Christians, and it goes all the way back to here. This church in Colossae, where this guy is telling them, hey, if you want to be a Christian, you can't do that or this or touch the keyboard. And they became boring Christians. And that, generations after generations of Christians learned that that's what it means. And this is the application for us because the same principle, learned helplessness, actually works in the reverse. They actually call it learned optimism. You are not created by God to be a stick in the mud, right? You are unique. God created you with all these different things, all passions and talents and abilities in a certain place with different opportunities and friends. He created all these beautiful things and fun and laughter for you to live life to the full. What if we were the generation of Christians that actually turned the tide and changed the reputation in the secular world about what it means to follow Jesus? Just like learned helplessness caught on like wildfire and there are boring Christians living all over the world, Learned optimism can work the same way. When people see Christians who are full of life, who are like, they can't wait to, for every moment because God's gonna be there and I can do whatever I want. I'm responsible for my actions, but I can do whatever I want. The world is full of possibilities. When people see that, see that you're filled with hope and, and, this, and this joy, they're like, that's what it means to be a Christian? I can't believe I was wrong all this time. You gotta take me to your church. What if we were the generation of Christians that, that rem were remembered for our optimism instead of our boring rule-following behavior? What if we were a generation of Christians that taught future Christians about what real living is? Some of you have the opportunity to do that right now if you're serving in FSM or or even kids, kids ministry, you have the opportunity. Those kids are like sponges. You're gonna teach them one way or the other, whether Christianity means being alive, living in color, or saying, no, you know, those colors, those flavors, those are not Christian. You have to be like this. What if we were the generation of Christians that found joy and happiness, even in the mundane? We don't need the crazy experiences. We don't need the front row concert tickets. We, we find the happiness in the most mundane of places. That's, that's what it means to live a life in color. That's what God created you for. That's what God created all this stuff for, for you to enjoy life, to remember who gives life. Remember John 15, apart from me, can do nothing. You're going to die and it's going to be unfulfilling. 
But if you stay connected to me, your life will be so bursting with meaning and color. It'll blow your mind. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And if, if this is like you, this is your first time here and you're like, I don't, you know, I'm not so sure about this Jesus thing, for real. If anybody at like, if there's boring Christians around you, you should be like, what's wrong with you? Jesus died for all this, for, I'm serious. Call out those boring Christians. Christians in the room. If other people are being boring, if other people are saying, I'm gonna stick to my legalism, I'm gonna stick to my rule following. If you don't have a quiet time every morning, I can't be friends with you. Jesus doesn't care about you. You're not, you're not spending time with him. That's not what God is about. That's not what Jesus is about. So I'm going <laughs> to give you guys like only a few minutes. I'm sorry about that. In small groups. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. And I've got like a couple really quick announcements. And then you guys are going to break in your small groups. Seriously, I want you guys to think about what does it, what are the lies that I've been believing? What are the little lies that I've learned, that I have learned from to be helpless and hopeless in what it means to be a Christian? Okay, start to uncover those, then you can get them out of the way and start that learned optimism. Jesus made a way. And it's not too hard for you to take. I promise you that. One step at a time, it's not too hard for you. So I'm gonna pray when I say amen. Nobody gets up and walks out because I got a couple announcements. Then you can go, right? Let's pray. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for like this like amazing creation. This world that you made just for us because you love us that much. You wanted us to, to experience everything that you had imagined. All of the, the experiences, all of the flavors. God, you created flavor in food. If that's not evidence for how much you love and care about us, I don't know what is. God, I pray for these students and I pray for any learned helplessness in this room about what it means to be a Christian, that people who are stuck inside this cage, even though you ripped the door right off the hinges. God, I pray for movement. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would throw them out of that cage and show them that life is beautiful. I pray that we would become known as a generation of Christians who live life to the full, experience the freedom that you gave us, and showed other people who you are. Thank you for sending Jesus so that all could be possible. It's in his name we pray.